Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special live edition of the Corner Store Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Koval, coming to you from Fieldhouse Jones in the basement, a very beautiful space that we're grateful to be in. Thank you to Robbie and the team at Fieldhouse Jones for welcoming us in and also housing our first guest. I want to thank also uh, the engineer at WGN, Ernie, our man who makes sure we sound crispy when we do live events. Also, thank you to Max Snacktor and Mercedes Zapata for uh, making our guests look beautiful and uh, keeping our guests fed and on time. Thank you all for being here, too. We have a really uh, great conversation in Chicago uh, on All-Star Game weekend on, on a weekend that has, I think, exhausted the whole city. I think the city has really been the all-star of, of, the, of the weekend in a lot of ways. Uh, but I also know that many people in this room have been tasked with the myriad of activities and been running around the city trying to represent not only what they do, but also for the city and for uh, the various movements in a, in a very special and big way. Um, this, this, this event that we are, uh, the conversation we're having now, came together because a, a dear friend, uh, Ahmed Taufik, is in town uh, from Paris, France. And, and I met uh, this, this organizer and uh, educator and just a, 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 someone who is uh, creating very big spaces for many, many people. Um, we met initially at uh, the Nike Pagal store in Paris. Uh, I, I happened to go there because... I, I knew of the space and wanted to see the court that they built across the street. And when, I'm, when I came in, uh, Ahmed was just so courteous and kind. And we, we just talked a lot that day about, about culture and, and, and sport. And when, when he found out that I was from Chicago, he introduced me to uh, a, a friend that we now share in common, uh, one of his mentees, Larry, uh, who's in the building. And uh, since I've just become uh, enamored with uh, Ahmed Ahmed's vision of building a space uh, in Africa, in Benin, uh, for up-and-coming young athletes to have a platform in which their, their athleticism could be seen by people around the planet. And uh, it's my pleasure to welcome into the corner store Ahmed Tofik. Make some noise, y'all. Yeah. Hey. hey, thank you, Kevin. No, Thank man. you very much. Thank uh, you. Thanks for being here. It's been a blessing uh, to be in Chicago. Uh, first, I want to thank my host, Robert. It's funny because uh, when I was at Pigal, so many uh, beautiful um, encounters. I met so many beautiful, beautiful people, and some of those people are like part of my life today. So people like you, obviously, and Robert and Debbie that I met uh, in the same spot. And my idea is always make people feel good when they come around me, and people give me that back. So, well, you, and you do that in a really profound way, which is, I think, one of the reasons why you, you've become such a great organizer. And, and I want to talk about, about what you're doing, uh, but, but I want to talk about how you, how you got there, because you yourself uh, are, have played very serious ball, if, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know how serious I can call how serious I play the ball, but like every kid, you know, you dream about playing in the NBA and stuff like that. Uh, my, my main dream has been actually to play in, in the U.S. So when I was growing up and learning how to play basketball, always about if you, if you feel like you're among the best, you got to go compete against the best. So when I look around, I was like the best out in the state. So my dream was to go there. And where are you growing up? Tell, tell so us So I actually, I was blessed to grow up in uh, Benin, West Africa. And Gabon at the same time. So I grew up in both countries. Uh, my dad was a math teacher in Gabon, so he allowed us to travel. So we used to live in Gabon 
during the school year. And summertime, we will spend the summertime in Benin. So I'm blessed to actually have childhood friends in both places. So most of my friends from Benin are actually friends that we used to play around because I was not going to school when I was in Benin. Mm. So I was just playing ball and have fun. And uh, when I was in Gabon, I was half friend from school. So I got the both uh, uh, culture, uh, which already made me somebody that can adapt easily. Because even within Africa, we got different culture, you know, from one city or one country to another. So at the early age, I, always, I was always able to navigate to different places. No, that makes sense. Because now that's part of, of course, what you do now in, with your work in the world is you navigate multiple cultures, multiple languages, and really try to rally support for, for the projects that you're working on. What was the condition of, of basketball uh, at the time when you were coming up? I mean, I know basketball in Africa is progressively developed, but when you were a kid, how did you first even get exposed to, to the sport? Okay, that's actually a great question. Um, most of us, when we grew up in Africa, we started playing soccer. You know, we, everybody plays soccer because uh, you don't need any equipment to play soccer. You just roll the ball. Or even if you don't have a ball, you just roll a paper or a can. You know, you play soccer. Right. So soccer was that easy. So, um, Which is why it's the, the, the most played sport around the planet, although that's beginning to change a little bit because of basketball. Basketball but, is coming. Yes. Yeah, I think we're right there. But, like, yeah, it's still the number one sport. Right. But, like, to play basketball, you need to have, you need a goal, you need a hoop, you need a basketball. You need shoes. You need, like, clothing. So, yeah, exactly. So, the why I got to basketball was actually funny. I was playing soccer with my friends. And when you play soccer in Africa, usually you play in the dirt. So, every time you finish playing, you're, like, super dirty. And I was getting into that age where you want to, you really care about how people feel about your look. <laughs> you know, you kind of have starting having girlfriends or see girls in, in school. You want to kind of cool. And in one of my school, we got a good basketball team. And I think this guy was the coolest guy in the, in the whole school. They was just cool. They looked beautiful. All the girls in the school want to be around them. I was like, and then when you come from the soccer or the football, you, you got the dirt, so nobody really care about you. So I was like, man, you know what? I, I want to look like these guys here. <laughs> I swear to God, that's where I started. <laughs> sure, yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's, what, that's like my first thing was like, man, like, every time you come, you got the dirt, you got to go try to clean yourself up. But like, even when they sweat on the court, they still look cool. You know, and I said, like, I want to be like this guy. And the main thing that made me actually switch to basketball was my mother. So my mother, she went to Benin. My mother used to be a, a merchant. Like, she look around, she go, if you find something cheaper in Benin, she try to bring it to Gabon and sell them to Gabon to make business. That's what my mom used to do. Hmm. So she went to Benin one time, and she bought me a pair of shoes. She was actually the cheaper shoes she found. You know, we got these um, second-hand places in Africa when you can buy cheaper stuff. She just found the cheaper shoes. And she was like, you know, she bought me two pairs. She bought the pair home. I think the pair back then, it was like the equivalent of 10 bucks here. She bought me the shoe. I didn't even know what the shoe was. I just wore the shoe to the school the next day. And everybody went crazy. Like... No, dude, you got a Jordan 6. That's a Jordan 6 Carmine. What you doing with those? I was like, huh? That's like crazy shoes, man. And when I look at the guy that was playing basketball, they had the same shoes on. Mm. And my friend was like, you can't be walking around with those shoes if you don't know how to play basketball. Right. 
So because you got to kind of be like a, it was kind of like a credibility thing, you know? Like yeah, you can't you're be wearing, posing. You're yeah. posing. Yeah. You can wear a Jordan yeah. and then they ask you to shoot and you just throw a brick. They're like, oh man, like, come on, go play soccer, you know? <laughs> so that's actually where I started to learn how to play basketball. Oh, wow. And, but you, you got quite good at playing basketball. I mean, you, you did eventually play in the States. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, college ball exactly yeah so the next phase of my my, my 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 love for basketball was that after my mom kind of bought me that pair of shoes she passed away a couple years later oh wow yeah and i just felt at that point that she was kind of a gift that she was passing along before she gone and then at the time when you're, you know, you're coming up, like you ask yourself a question, why this, why she's leaving and stuff like that. And it's kind of hard for you to kind of concentrate in life. You know, you kind of do something. You don't care about life anymore. At one point, I didn't care about life. And basketball was kind of that, that thing that gave me the structure. Hmm. Because in order to be successful of basketball, you have to practice. So anytime you spend a way from doing anything else. Anytime you spend practice or getting better at your craft, it's time away from doing this stupid thing. That's right. And that's actually, I started focusing more of my time on playing basketball. How old, how old were you when your mom? So I was, I was around 11 years old when my mom passed away. Okay. Yeah. So then you just started to... I just started to focus. It was just basketball. And also, uh, you know, my dad actually uh, went to another city and he didn't want to take us there, so I, I had to end up staying with his wife because he got married after that. And life with my 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 in law, my mother, my wife's, uh, my dad's wife, was not that easy, you know. And uh, at that point, basketball became everything. So it was like the only place I felt joy, the only place I felt love, the only place I felt like I can be myself, I can be yelling on the court, I can be playing hard and giving everything. And I was just like going to practice, and after I finished practice, stay over there and just keep working on my game, keep working on my game. And who, who was encouraging you? Or it was, was it a coach? Did you have somebody? It, it, was it at the school that was looking out and encouraging you to, to spend so much time perfecting the craft? Yeah, so my first coach, uh, his name is uh, Raymond. He's uh, actually the first one that kind of, it's funny, that's one of the funniest history I have in life. He used to coach us with a stick, like a kung fu master. No, that was like fun. Now that I think about it, so like for instance, uh, when we was like when we were learning how to do the layup left hands, you know, like in the basketball, you got you actually jump on the right on the yeah for the left hand on the right. Yeah. You know, you gotta be like balanced, right? So when you're not used to that in the beginning, you kind of go, you jump on the left and you kind of do like this, all right? It used to be on the under the goal with the stick. So when you do it, just hit it on the on the on the on the wrong leg. So you change in the air. So he was like, he's a crazy human being, man. So that's kind of like that's kind of how I started to learn. And he was, and then you you feel like you listen to him, and you see like after like a month or two, you're getting better. Like you you know you learn how to shoot. Like when I when I started to shoot basketball, I just I used to, I don't I don't remember him scoring. I just throwing bricks. You know, and then it teaches you, and then you kind of go and you're like, okay, now I taught you how to do it, but in order for you to make it, you got to keep doing it. You know, you got to come early, work on it, work during practice, and then if you have time after, keep working on it. Yeah. So that's kind of how... Uh, my it's real. Le- I mean, one of the things I love about basketball is kind of the lessons that it then also offers you about life, because, you know, that you could apply that same... You know, strategy to anything, really. You know, that's exactly what I've done after my playing days. You know, uh, that's what I do now. Uh, even when we're going back to what we're doing with Enfant de Bénin de Boue, is 
you, you met me at Pegasus, so I got a full-time job. So in order for me to be successful at, at running that organization, I got to wake up super early, get yeah. that done. There is no way I can get it done while I'm at work. So that's the exact same thing that I learned through basketball, but, you know, going earlier, uh, go to practice before everybody else, and then stay after they're gone. That's so, yeah, right. you take that to, to the real life. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so, you, so you did get relative, good enough to... I got, I got good. I got, like, like, I was great. Right. Yeah, I was great at the point where even back home I was selected among the best players in my country, uh, play on the national level, national team level, which play like African Cup and stuff like that, and allowed me also to come to the state and uh, play in high school and play in college. I play uh, NAIA, and also if I didn't turn my ACL uh, in 2006 while I was here, I think I would have actually a way better career than that. And where, where did you end up playing in the States? What, what college? So uh, I played for, first I played Juco. I played Community College upstate New York in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a city I never heard before if it, was not, if it was not for basketball. Even when people tell me you were going to Poughkeepsie, I was like, what is Poughkeepsie? Yeah, most people in New York don't know Poughkeepsie. Yeah, most, yeah. most so people in New York fine. don't yeah. know Poughkeepsie. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where the beauty of basketball. Basketball takes you places that you never expect to play. And then after Poughkeepsie, after Dutchess Community College, uh, I went to Wiley College in Texas, mm-hmm. which is a HBCU, uh, which is a great, uh, it was a great experience for me as for basketball. And actually it was funny because I got a couple that live now in Chicago that I have lunch with. We used to be a classmate. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, one, of the, uh, one of the things I love about you, you know people from around the planet <laughs> and are constantly doing the work of building bridges and connections between the people. I want, we, have, we have a few other guests, and I want to, I want to get to them. But, but, but tell us about the, the, now what has become your, your you know, because you've, you've left Pagal. Exactly. Uh, to focus fully on, on building this, this movement and this league uh, this platform in Africa. Tell us, tell us about about it. Yeah. So now the the next step is that every time you we we, we used to go to Benin uh, once or twice a year. Uh, we stay here like maybe like ten days to do the camp, prepare the camp, and do the camp. And every time when we go back, when I go back to France or when the team goes back to where they come from, we look at the result of what we accomplished in one week, and we always ask ourselves like. How about we, if we can do this like every month or every couple of months, the result will so, we be so exponential, you know. But at the same time, you got to find the balance how you kind of find a way to feed your family also, you know, but doing the work that you do. So now I'm going to go 100% doing that, so fundraising. And one of the ideas that, that came to my mind, and it was actually funny, I, I started thinking about it a year ago. Because we always talk about funding, right, when you have an organization. And I have been for almost eight years now in the streetwear industry, and it never clicked in my head that I can do something and make money and use that money for my organization. So now uh, we just started to launch a basketball or streetwear brand, you know. So the idea is to still give people quality Garment, quality clothing line with beautiful material, beautiful product, but part of the profit of that brand goes back to feed your organization. So I'm proud to say that we started a brand called One, which means we are in French. And the idea is really, like I told you, that togetherness. You know, we are people, we are together. 
you know we are you can be here from chicago look look you and i we are brothers now we are you know yeah. but like uh, three years ago i didn't know you you didn't know me but now like if i text you you know like oh that's my brother texting me you know yeah. and that's kind of the whole purpose of that brand is to stay connecting the people together and use that strength to empower the youth all over the world uh, I've been here for Star Week and I met some incredible people here doing some stuff in the community. Some of the stuff we were talking about is how we bring some kids from Chicago back to Benin. Yes. So we are together so they can learn from that cultural, uh, that, that's that exchange. Everything, that exchange. Well, and and tell, tell us, what, is it a, it's a camp, it's a league? What, 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 is, what is the work that you're doing? Exactly. Benin? So we have a basketball camp, which is a leadership and basketball camp. Donc, uh, every morning we do the basketball camp, and then in the afternoon we got different uh, social and cultural activities that we do for the youth. Yeah, so there's so, the education component the education, in the yeah, afternoon, like, which is super huge. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's the first thing. And how old are the the kids so in the camp? The kid uh, is between twelve to eighteen. Okay. So the way we do it, we like we we send our people spread the word that we're gonna do the camp, and the day of the camp we get a kid from all over the country that come for the tryout. So you try out for the camp. You try out for the camp. Yeah. So, so you have to be able to play ball. You got to be able to play ball. Wow. Yeah, you got to okay. be able to play ball. So you try out for the camp. Last year we got 120 kids, and we only select 15 boys and 15 girls. Mm. And then that's the 30 that are going to go to the camp and do the activity in the afternoon. Uh, we are blessed to have the United Nations, UNESCO, that came to speak about to speak to the kid. And then this kid go for a week of practice. And at the end of the week, we select the best 10 boys and the best 10 girls. And these two teams is going to play in a competition that we started last year, which is United Basketball Africa. It's kind of like a small league that we created. And the idea is to give uh, youth in Africa a new platform to play because most of the, 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 the teams in Africa are focused on the other people. There is no leagues for youth. So now we're launching with we're going to be this year is going to be the second year of that international league for youth. Last year we have Nigeria, Ghana, Gabon, Togo, Central African Republic, and Benin. Yeah. And the beauty of what we do, uh, I always say that every time I'm proud to say that, but at the same time I'm sad, is that we're the only organization that have an inclusive tournament because we got wheelchair tournament part of that. So we do. Boys, girls, and wheelchair tournament. Oh wow, that's amazing! Um, it's it's beautiful work, man. Can we make some noise for the work that Ahmed is doing? Uh, I, I, we're we're going to talk a, a little bit later on about uh, about you know how ball has kind of elevated uh, you know many people in in different countries over the last bunch of years. Um, so, but I want to get to some of our other guests. Uh, but, but before I, I let you go, some of what I remember you talking about, too, is that part of the, the purpose of the league was to also give uh, coaches an opportunity to see some of the young people in order to have the opportunity that you had to you know, study and play ball elsewhere around the planet. So you, you, you already have had some success in getting young people scholarships elsewhere looks elsewhere like that's actually one of the beauty of uh, 2020 so 2019 to 2020 i think the tournament that we started united basketball africa uba helps out a lot last year we got four boys and one girl that received scholarship to play high school in the state mm. 
Yeah. So you know, like the boys, you know, I knew will come up, but like what make me, uh, what gave me the more joy was having a girl living Benin. Now she's in California, playing ball. Like this is just if you tell me that ten years ago, I we I be tell you crazy. And the funny thing, let me just put that in. The girl that I'm t- telling you, she just got to California two months ago. Okay, last week. She texted me. She was that coach. Uh, I talked to my school, and I wanted uh, them to give me all their old basketball. I want to send it to Benin. I went crazy. Mm. Like, I didn't tell her to do it. But, like, she just appreciated the opportunity that she has now. And she sees that they have that much basketball that they don't use. And she knows what type of basketball we use at home. And she was like, how about just tell those people to... Give me those balls and bring me home. So now we're really building that next actors of change, yeah. you know, by planting those seeds. So that's one of the best things I, I had this year. Oh, it's beautiful. All right, we'll, we'll get more with you in a moment. Make mm-hmm. some noise for Ahmed one more time, y'all. Yeah. Uh, I want to I welcome up to uh, the dais here. I don't know. We're in the basement of uh, Fieldhouse Jones, and it's four seats on a floor in the basement. I don't know. It's much of a dais, but uh, a, 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 an artist who I really love and appreciate, uh, someone who we've had briefly on the show before in a live uh, version of what we do sometimes on WGN called the Mini Mart. I want to welcome back to the corner store, uh, Shala. Please make some noise for Shala, yo. Yeah, wherever you, wherever you wish, man. Um, it's great to see you. Uh, welcome back. Uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, now, now we, we've talked a little bit, but but I, I, I'm curious: what is your connection to to the sport of basketball, if at all? I don't look like I play ball, right? I got you. No, I'm not saying no, you don't good. look <laughs> like that. I mean, you know, you got more of an arty, art, artistic <laughs> oh, vibe, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, my connection is um, well with Ahmed. I've always loved basketball. Obviously, I'm I'm the stereotype, right? Um, <laughs> Tell everybody who's not here that I'm a tall black guy. <laughs> How tall are uh, you? I am six one. Okay. How tall right. are you? I'm six. Six? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. got one on you. Yeah. Did, well, did you hoop? Um, I so I was the one who was always tall. I was always tall when I was a shorty. So I couldn't hoop with a lick, but everybody would want me because they were just having me stand up under the rim. Right. You know yeah, I mean? that, yeah. So I was that guy. I'm all right, but nah, no. Not not outstanding. No. Uh, Max no. the Snack Tour does have. You know, uh, we are snacks. in Fieldhouse Jones, and um, we got snacks. You know, uh, they've they have in, in both this location and in their location uh, in Wicker Park, they have incredible empanadas. And so Max is uh, offering you a few different empanadas. Well, we, we like sound effects. You can eat and, or you can get them afterwards, whatever. But uh, These are there are empanadas that uh, are, are being passed around as well. So thank you, Fieldhouse Jones, thank for you the empanadas. Um, so, all right. So you were never, you, you were so, admittedly never outstanding at ball, is what you're trying to say. No, no, okay. no. I got the girls through art. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and. And and but but you do you do have uh, you you do have desire to work. I, I know that you and Ahmed were talking at some point about a, a kind of backboard um, or a kind. Well, a, well yeah. so you can see Ahmed is a very charming guy, right? He, he is, <clears throat> yes. So <clears throat> he charmed the pants off me, and um, he convinced me to work with him because um, we both have um, a love for kids and empowering people in general. I'm a social impact artist in general. 
My current medium is uh, solar art. So I make solar murals and sculptures that generate electricity. Um, and one of my pet projects that I've been working on for about probably six months to a year is a solar basketball court. So I finally got the components to really have it happen. And uh, Ahmed and I were talking about it and how great it would be to bring it back home, because I'm originally from Nigeria anyway. So how great it would be to bring it back home where we have plenty of sun, right? And we have a developing um, basketball world. Culture, yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's almost like my duty to bring this, this concept to my home, to Africa. So he's perfect to bridge that gap. It works for him. He has to camp. The universe brought us together, I think. No, I, it was I, just, I it love was that. nuts, you know? Yeah, well, so, I, I think that's one of the great things about Ahmed is that he, he is a real connector in that he's way. He's a super connector, yep. Now, now you do have sculptures around, around the country, around the planet. Um, you, you've not done the, the court yet, but, no, you, no, I, but I've seen other, new, I've seen other projects you've done. You, you've done I, um, yeah, describe some of the. I have a solar pyramid on 47th and King Drive in Chicago. Um, and I have uh, two touring sculptures that generate electricity and power for cell phones. So I do those for, um, um, for corporate. So I've done uh, Martin Luther King sculptures in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia uh, Museum of Art and the Betsy Ross. And uh, yeah, that's, what, that's the work. And so my new, latest endeavor is this court. The first one is going to be built on the west side of Chicago is what we're working on right now. Because I have one on the south side. I got to have one on the west side. 100%. Then I might come north. I don't know. Wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so we're doing that. And I'm designing that with the um, students in the neighborhood. And um, I'm looking forward to that. Ambitiously, we want to get it done by the end of the summer. I don't see that happening. But by next summer, for sure, it'll happen. And then hopefully we'll be scaling into... Uh, into Africa and Benin. That's beautiful. Uh, now, I, I'm sure when you're beginning as an artist, your first thought isn't to use uh, the the material of, of solar powered panels. And so, how do you how do you get to that point where that becomes part of your medium? I, I'm I've always been curious. I'm always trying to. I have a rebel spirit, so I'm always trying to do something that's different from other people. And I'm always curious. Uh, if I don't know if anybody knows me, if I sit down with you, I'm going to get your whole life story. You know, I, I, that's how I source my creativity. So I started looking into technology because I felt like a lot of us artists run away from technology and we stick to the traditional mediums. And I kind of started to explore how can technology um, be a new medium because we translate technology for people, right? We make technology uh, accessible. So I started to see this whole realm of sustainable technology that nobody was using that exists, especially around solar, agriculture. Look, everything we need to make humanity better exists, but we don't necessarily have the ambassadors or the translators to make it relevant to our life. The way Steve Jobs just kind of put a bunch of stuff together and created the iPhone, the iPhone existed, it just didn't matter because it was lame. And he made it not lame, and now we all have, well, we all have iPhones, you know what I mean? I'm a Samsung, but it was all good. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I mean? Because I'm a rebel, I ah, see. But anyway, so I saw that in sustainability and solar. So at first, I just tried to smack some paint on it and see if, you know, because I was making murals, and it just wasn't fulfilling. It was like a big, pretty picture that people look, you know, maybe take some pictures of, and it's over with. But how can I help society? What can I do to advance humanity and still be creative? So I said, maybe if I painted solar panels and throw them up, right? So that didn't work, but I did my research, and I was curious, and I found some guys out of MIT, and they were doing just that. They were creating um, film that you can paint shingles on, so it blends into the roof. 
Now, we all know you can still see the solar panel. It just has shingles on it, right? It doesn't blend into the roof. But I was like, I could put a picture on it the same way they put a shingle on it. So I borrowed the technology, and I started to work with that technology. And the first accomplishment was a mural I did in Inglewood that lit up a field that historically was have, was, had a lot of criminal activity because it was dark. So I was able to create a mural, put it on the school, and then it lit up some lights. So it didn't cost anybody anything, which was their excuse. And now kids can walk past that field every day. So, so that won a few awards. Then they gave me money to make the solar pyramid, Comet did. They gave me half, the, half of it. It wasn't enough. So I went to Ram, right? Some people don't like Ram, but he gave me some money for a pyramid. So I like Ram, sorry. Anyway, so, and Ram gave me the rest of the money. Well, we gave us the rest of the yeah, money. Yeah, right. It was, yeah, he didn't and come Ram out of his pocket. And Ram freed the yeah, money up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get it. Yeah, yeah right, right. Exactly, right? Yeah. Shout out to Ram, though. It's all good. Anyway, hey. <laughs> Um, uh, so, the, yeah. the views uh, Charlotte expresses about Rahm Emanuel is not necessarily <laughs> those of WGN or the Corner Store <laughs> podcast, but fair enough. Um, so, yeah. And, um, so, well, is, that, is that part of what it means to be a social impact? I mean, yeah, but, a lot that of my, phrase, I mean, it, it's, it's about a particular connection use uh, of, of the art in a community? Yes, I think it's a responsibility for those of us who are creative to impact society in some way. And I'm not saying... Um, making things that are, making things beautiful doesn't impact, but we are far more um, important than that. Those of us creatives, um, I think if the world was run by creatives, it'd be far more progressive. I think it's run by people who exploit creativity hmm. and people who um, use creativity to control people in different ways. And I think naturally as artists, we're too busy being insecure to control people, but we are spending way more time trying to add to humanity. So if we start to step up and claim and own that um, dedication and ability, the world would be a different place. Um, so I want to be an example, and I've started to really do that. But I didn't, I didn't get out of my own way till maybe five years ago. I was still wrapped up in making it as an artist and getting validation. I didn't get any freedom from validation until I started to focus on a purpose that was beyond people validating my creativity. So how did that begin to play a part in your development as an artist? Who were the people? Where were the spaces? What other artists kind of influenced those ideas and changed your own course? Ba uh, Banksy. I love what he was doing. Um, I love the uh, social commentary. That was amazing to me. Um, all the artists I've always, all the people I loved historically have always made some kind of impact in society but I was too busy clout chasing. Mm. I, I was looking for validation. You know, I was look, trying to um, answer some insecurity about not mattering and not being good enough. Um, I did landmark education. That helped me a whole lot. Some therapy sessions. And then my father just saying, like, why does it matter? You die, they throw dirt on your face. You know? And I was like, yeah, what, what, what does it matter if I become popular? And, you know? So uh, I went through just an awakening. Um, again, always being curious, always looking for what's next. I started to look for what's next within myself. And I got that it wasn't chasing clout or validation because I'll never, I'll never get it. Mm -hmm. It's about building something and helping other people get that they matter. And uh, all, my life just turned around. You know, I was struggling before that, you know. And then when, when you find your purpose, it's like magic. You know what I mean? It's just like things open up. People give you money. People are just like, what? What was all this when I was, oh, I wasn't looking there. Because where all the blessings came from, they were always there. I was just always looking over here, you know. 
So I started to engage with people who had the resources that I need, where before I thought I wasn't good enough to engage with those people, then we found out they're just human beings just like me. Um, I started to let go of some of my judgments around people, which freed me up to have open conversations and uh, just learn things that will connect people as opposed to faction people in the way our country seems to be right now. Um, So I just, all of that that I've learned, I'm just really hungry to share that with people because there's a selfish level of freedom that you get from that. So even if you don't want to do it for other people, the most selfish thing you can do is to give to other people. It, the freedom is, is, is crazy. It's intense, you know? It's awesome. So um, I've dedicated my life to doing that through art and conversation, you know? And you said you were born in Nigeria. Oh, I was born, so I'm first generation. First generation, okay. Yes. Yeah, but you, so, were, you were born here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was born here. I was born uh, Northside. Okay. So okay. it's funny. You asked me this question before. Every time somebody asks me where I was born, I'm trying to figure out where my parents had sex. And then I, I don't know why my brain goes there. Yeah, no, that's so an odd like, thing well, to be thinking about. That doesn't about, matter, yeah. right? It's well, where, it it's mattered. Where yeah, right, right. I don't right, know. Right, right, it's yeah. a glitch. I'm an artist. I'm you, were conceived, <laughs> you were conceived of in Nigeria? Or no, you I was conceived in, here. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because that's what born means, not where they had sex. But that's my brain. Anyway. Okay. All right. Um, and you, you, yeah, you've grown up here, Chicago. You, you, yeah, you, yeah. So yeah. I, grew up, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up on the north side. Then I spent most of my time hanging out on the west side. And the south side. Um, and I learned a lot because the north side is very mixed. At least when I was growing up, it was very mixed. So I came from a very multicultural background. Um, but it really did wonders for me to hang out on the west side and the south side and see where it was it is predominantly my people and to see the difference. More of the, um, the mentality, right? And I really got that when you mix with, other different, with different people, different uh, cultures, your mind is different, but when you're all kind of in the same um, thought pattern, it can be very limiting. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's why people, it's, it's why urban planners want us to stay segregated in yeah, part, right? I think there so. Is, there is a growth of understanding, a, a broadening of your mind once you begin to kind of build with other people you know yes. you just have a broader understanding of the world and i think that kind of potential solidarity building is ultimately what scares people who plan cities but create know? but people who are creative naturally want to do that yes, because yeah. we're curious so we're yeah. always looking at new areas to bring things together so if we start to be intentional about our urban planning as opposed to following whatever we're told because we also have the ability to enroll and inspire people to look at urban planning differently you know, so there's an amazing calling for creatives. And I think everybody's creative. I just think artists are the people who, who take the courage, I guess, to really pursue it in a way that it's a lifestyle. But everybody's creative in some way. And I, I want to just foster that in people by inspiring them to do it. Big facts. Well, we're going we're gonna to have you back in a moment. But please, y'all make some noise for Shala one thank time. You. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to bring up Dan, and then I'm going to bring you and Ahmed back. Uh, I want to I welcome our, our third uh, and, and final guest uh, to the dais. Uh, Dan Poneman is a, you know, now he is, he is a, a professional sports agent, but comes from the world of organizing and education, has been uh, produced uh, documentary films, and has ran a, a very important summer league uh, in Chicago. Uh, but without further ado, in the corner store for the first time, please welcome Dan Poneman. What's up? 
Yeah, man. Psyched to be here. Psyched to be here. Thanks for being here. I know you've also had quite a all-star weekend. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a scratchy voice. Yesterday, I did the 5 a.m. wake up to 5 a.m. sleep shift, ran three events. When you're a basketball guy and all-stars in your city, you got to cram it all in there and you know well it's it's indicative of what all has been happening this weekend just tell us what your day was like yesterday if you don't mind so i woke up at five o'clock uh reported to uh the jones armory on 52nd street at six o'clock we started uh from eight to twelve we ran a uh free basketball camp so yesterday morning it was 30 high school seniors boys and high school senior girls from Chicago Public League. They got to run, play, play in a camp with NBA skills trainers. They got the, the mixtapes are coming out, and then some college coaches came to watch them. So that was my morning. <laughs> then I went to Soho House, and my agency did a clothing collab with a local uh, clothing designer, a kid who grew up on the South Side, went to King, uh, went to Clark Atlanta. His name is John Roper. He has a clothing line called Richeza. So we did a uh, clothing collab. We did a pop-up from 4 to 7. And then my agency threw a party at Soho House from 7 till 12. And one of our clients threw a party from 10 to 4. So long, long day, but it was all successful. And, and it, was, it, was, it was great. Well, congratulations. And thank you for getting up and, and coming here. When you tell me to, to move, I move. Well, no, I, I appreciate that. Now, now I first, I first met you uh, through a, a friend that we have in common, uh, Shadow Eddie. Um, but, but I met you at Marshall High School because you were running at that time, as you still do, a, a really brilliant program. We tell us what, what that is? Because it's, it's not a league. It's, I, don't, I don't know what, even what to call it. So it's, it's, it's a showcase. Okay. So basically, so I grew up in Evanston. What, what, what part of the north side are you from? Uptown. uptown. Charlotte's cool. from Uptown. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up in Evanston uh, playing basketball. I was okay, not that good. Um, Did you play on the team, on their, the high school team? So I played on the freshman A team at hey, Evanston, okay. which at a school with 4,000 kids making it's a freshman good. team is yeah, pretty good. Right. Got moved to the B team, not as good. <laughs> So that, that was the end of my playing career. I played, I played for the JCC Maccabi All-Jewish team. I was hey, the best wow. player on that team. Well, listen, yeah, yeah. I was the only public school kid on the team, so I was like Jordan. They, right. they were like, wow, where'd you learn, have, learn that? Have you seen that book of uh, professional Jewish basketball or the history of Jewish basketball? Have you seen that book? Wait, is it a book or it's a pamphlet? A, it's a very thin book is yeah, the point. Yeah. Is yeah. it just it's a sheet of paper? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's uh, you and Dan Issel, I think, are yeah. the... Um. Yeah, flyer, right, right. Um, no, anyway, so back, back to the story. So... I, I was a I started a high school basketball website when I was in high school ranking the best players in the city. So instead of playing high school basketball, I would take the train around the city, go to different high school basketball games, make rankings of the top 100 players in each class. And then the first year I ran my program, my, my showcase was my senior year of high school. I had the idea, all right, when, when the season's done, let's take all the best seniors in the city who haven't committed to colleges yet run a camp and get local colleges to come watch them play and basically like do matchmaking. So the first year I did it, it was like a money-making idea. I was like, all right, I'm 18 years old. I'm trying to get some money in my pocket, charge $75 for the players, $75 for the coaches. I lost money on that first event (laughs) because I found out that all the good players who needed colleges don't have $75 Mm. to play in a camp. Yeah. So that was year one. I lost like $2,000. 
Year two, I had the idea to adopt the Tom's Shoes model. It's like, all right, I'm going to charge double for half the kids from the suburbs and let half the kids play for free. Did that, broke even, and then it, it hit me. I was like, I got all these friends in the NBA. They could drop a little money. We could do this thing for free. So I partnered up with Evan Turner, plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves now, third, third team in one year. Um, partnered up with Evan and turned it into a nonprofit. And like you said, once I realized that this concept was a nonprofit, it clicked and everything started to open up. So basically what, what it is, it's, it's very simple. It's a two-day showcase. All the best seniors in the city after their season's done that don't have colleges to go to. And we get college coaches to come out. Last year, in our, it was our 10th annual showcase. We had 270 players, 130 college coaches, and 52 kids got full scholarships as a result of the event. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, you, I think you came to, like, the sixth one. I think it was, like, four years ago. Yeah. 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 And I loved it. And, I mean, I, I, you know, you had, uh, you had multiple games going on at once. Yeah, you have four courts. Well, each year it's grown. First it was one court. Then when you came, it was two courts. Now we, there's only two gyms in the city big enough to actually hold our event because we had to do four courts going at once. Right, right. That's, that's, that's brilliant. So, of course, this, this, you've, you've kind of gone on now from, from this showcase to do a lot of other things. You're now, you started your own uh, agency. Yeah. And what, what is it called? Beyond Athlete Management. Okay. And what, what does that mean? And then what do you guys do? Well, uh, so I decided to become an agent. It's, it's a thing... So 15 years ago, I started my website, and I started helping kids go to college. What's the website? Is it, do you still run, you don't no, still no, run no, it? No, yeah. no, no, no. What was that, it, though? It was called IllinoisHSBasketball.com. Okay. And then I started a YouTube channel called Swag Air, where I did highlight videos of kids and interviews. Um, so I helped a lot of kids get to college, and then what I would find is they'd graduate college, and they would come to me and ask me to help them find an agent. So I learned a lot about the professional sports representation industry through that from a very young age. And it's not, a, it's not a good place. It's all the stereotypes you hear are true. You know, like agents being slick and manipulative. It's all, you know, show me the money. So it was something I never wanted to be. I was like, I don't want to be an agent. That's not me. I'm a man of the people. I like being at the grassroots. Like, I'm never going to be that. Um, but ultimately, I saw so many kids come out of the city and get poor representation. And at a certain point, I was like, I can't complain about it unless I'm going to do something about it. And if these kids that come out of our city and become NBA players are these pillars of our community, they're these leaders, they're so influential, they have these big platforms, why don't I take charge and be their representation and help guide their careers in a way that they can have a positive impact? So got certified four years ago, uh, started the company two years ago. We have six agents across basketball and football. We have players in the NBA, NFL. We have players playing professionally in leagues in like a dozen different countries around the world. Um, so that's my day job. But the nonprofit is still the, like the purpose, and it all ties together. You help, like I like to say, you help the player. We help the players that are at the top, and we use that platform to water the soil that that raised them. Right. Essentially, beforehand, you were saying that you're out of the house 200 days a week, not a year. week, 200 days a year at, mm-hmm. at least, mm-hmm. uh, and you're traveling all over the world to see clients to see. Future clients, what is that? What is the rigor of that must get exhausting? Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, so I, I did my taxes last year, and with, with, with my taxes, you actually, I actually had to calculate exactly how many days I was uh, out of town to get my uh, uh, deduction for my per diem. It was 190 days last year that I wasn't in Chicago. 
And it's funny, people will, you know, they'll check my Instagram, they'll see me around, they'll be like, man, you're, you're living a life. You're, it's, not, it's not the life. Like, I'll be in small college towns, you know, driving around Texas, you know, going to colleges to recruit. Now, some of it's fun. I get to go to Australia to see a client next week. That's fun. But, um, yeah, I mean, being an agent is a grind because it's, we have clients all over the world and I have to visit all of them. But it's not like going to, you know, hang out in the sun. Like, I go, I go to a game, I check the box, I see my guy check up, make sure they're good. It's also a 24-7 job because I have clients all around the world. So if something goes wrong in Italy or Israel or Japan, I got to have my phone ready for them to call me in the middle of the night, pop up, take the call. My girlfriend hates it. We have a small one-bedroom apartment, so I'm on the phone all night. She's, she can't sleep. But uh, it's rewarding work, though. You know, you help guide, you're helping guide young men's careers from you know, age 21, 22, 23, help them create generational wealth, help them you know, find things that they're passionate about with their platform. It's, it's really rewarding, but it's really, really challenging. Yeah. And I guess, uh, why, why the sport of basketball for you? I mean, why is that something that has been a through line for your entire life? What is it about the game, the sport that you love so much? I don't know. For me, there was no other sport. Like there, there was nothing else. It's always been basketball and I have no idea why, uh, whether it was playing it, watching my dad played college ball. He played at Brandeis. He was taller than me. He could dunk. He was, I didn't get his genes, I guess, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's a beautiful, it, it, I marvel sometimes at like the kind of absurdity of the fact that my life revolves around basically an orange ball going through a metal cylinder yeah. my whole life. I've, I've never had another job that's not in basketball. This is all I've done. It's probably all I'll ever you know, do. And it's just a ball going through a little circle, but there's something so beautiful about the game. I have a friend, a Serbian friend, Vlado, that the Serbians, almost all the best coaches in Europe are Serbian. I don't know what it is. They have like some elixir there. Like, like, they just know how to teach the game. And, and Vlado had an amazing quote once. He said, basketball is like dance. First, the point guard dances with the ball, and then he dances with his teammates. So it's, it's, it's sport, but it's also kind of an, an art form. It's my expression of my creativity in, in that way. Well, that's beautiful. That's, and it's a good, uh, good uh, intersection to bring our guests back to the dais. Please welcome back Ahmed. Inshallah, it makes a noise for Dan Poneman one time. Um, fellas, welcome back. And, and uh, Dan, that, that's, it's, a really, it's a really good segue uh, to, to my first question for the panel, how, how does art and basketball, uh, culture and basketball uh, tie together in, in this moment? We see in this weekend, we see all of, the, all of these brands, all of these athletes uh, partnering with creatives in, in, in so many different spaces. And, and it really has been an opportunity to showcase some of what's being done in Chicago from a creative level, some of what's happening in Chicago at a uh, institutional level in terms of the game, but also in terms of social service organizations. But what, why, why is this marriage between ball and culture so uh, robust, would you say? Uh, sorry? Yeah. I think... Uh, I think um, it's, it's a culture. Basketball is a culture. Um, it's a derivative of African-American culture, by and large, right? But it's also got its own culture of achievement. And it's funny, yeah, how eloquent you put it, uh, this round ball that goes into a ring. But it also makes it interesting when you have people who express themselves in the way they bounce that ball. 
and then they have to bounce that ball from one end to the other. And then somebody invented jumping and just putting it in the, you know, the culture evolves and it develops and the people around it add to it and it becomes art in a lot of ways because art pervades culture. So I think you can't separate the two. I think once you have a culture that's going to be art form that comes out of the culture, art is the babies, are the babies that culture has, you know? Mm. So I think that's why. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, one of the things that I think everybody's going to be agree with, like you go to a country you've never been before. You go into a basketball court. You don't even speak the language, and you just dance with them. You know, you we go to China. To, you right now. You go on the basketball court. You just check the ball up. <laughs> you start to talk to the people. Uh, you start making friends. You know, in the culture that you don't know nothing about. And then after the game, because the way you play connected with the people that you play with, they now can teach you their culture. You know, when a game is over, say, so, okay, you know what? Let's go eat together. You know, this is why we eat in China, or this is why we eat in. Benin or Nigeria, and then you start connecting and be that network. I think the you can't really separate uh, the sport, uh, especially the basketball and the culture. And I think that go hands in hand. Like me, for instance, when I first moved uh, to the to the states, uh, I see. Remember when I came for Benin, I got a Kevin Garnett jersey. So when I arrived to my high school, they thought I bought it. I was like, no, I got it from Benin. They they couldn't believe it. So that's like you're saying, like how the culture travel. It started here. Basketball started here, or by a Canadian guy. You, you see, yeah, just that. It says everything about basketball. Yeah, right. Yeah, people don't. Yeah, it exactly. Started, it yeah. started in Canada. He's, 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 he's a Canadian. Canadian I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And and I, and I wanted to say that culture, yeah, travels, right? Exactly. And people can find themselves in it, you know. And it's just, it's, it's phenomenal how. Um, we as people of color were able to take it as an opportunity and then evolve the culture even further with our expression. And now as it travels the world, who knows what's going to happen in Korea, you know what I mean, Asia, anywhere in Asia, Yugoslavia, what are they going to add to the culture that's going to even expand basketball further, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, that's what I love about culture in general, but I think that's what basketball has. Then, I guess, I guess you guys uh, covered that very well, so I'll, I'll give, take a different angle to answer your question. I personally feel so lucky to be a part of the NBA in my own little way by representing players. It is the coolest league in the world. Everywhere you go around the world, they love the league. And it's not just the game, but it's also the players and the way that they express themselves on the court, off the court, their personalities, the, 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 their creativity and, and existence. Like things as little – do you follow the Instagram account League Fits? Mm -mm. You guys know about League Fits? Mm -mm. Yeah, I follow League Fits. It's the coolest account. It, they just post – pictures of NBA players, players yeah. walking into the arena in their outfits and it's a big thing in the league like if mm -hmm. you get your outfit on league fits you're doing like it. you're doing it so guys like I, I again Evan Turner has a personal stylist never repeats an outfit for a game and his goal is to get on league fits but it's cool because that has nothing to do with the game of basketball but that's the creativity of the athletes expressing themselves and the fans love it like the NBA is pop culture and and the NBA athletes are pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a professional athlete in that way. Well, it's, it's part of what has happened in the NBA. They've embraced seemingly 
hip-hop culture, which is to say black culture in part, um, in, in a way that other leagues have not. Like you see kind of the, the opposite direction that some place like the NFL has gone. Mm. And so I'm also wondering, is because is, part of what, what Charlotte, what you said there, there's, or Ahmed, what you said, or what everyone has said or touched on today, is that there is an issue of accessibility that I think hip-hop also has inherently in its uh, core is that you don't need a lot in order to participate um you know and i and i wonder if if basketball's embrace of that has helped its rise around around the planet i wonder what what you guys think about that i always wonder because like soccer was big and is big in nigeria but basketball by and large is taking over and i think it's because basketball has more room for expression Right? Again, you're dribbling a, a ball, you're bouncing a ball from one end to the other. There's so many ways you can do that. It's about style. Yeah. Right? Which is there's yeah. more available. Like my cousin would argue because he loves soccer, but there's way more ab- available style. That's what, went, that's what <laughs> came to basketball. basketball. <laughs> there is in soccer, you know? Um, so I think that's helped a whole lot. And I think the NBA, um, to their credit, has really uh, expanded the sport by being more open and most most centers of sports or leagues, you know? Yeah, I think uh, they, uh, that's why, they, uh, like you were saying, Dan, the NBA was one of the best leagues. Like, for instance, the, the, the first international league who took chance into Africa 10 years ago. Now we actually have NBA Africa in Johannesburg 10 years ago. Not that many international leagues had jumped, you know? Now, next month, the uh, NBA is starting its own African league, Basketball Africa League, which is kind of like another NBA league. So nobody will thought about that three years ago. Now it's happening. Uh, next month is going to start. They got 12 teams, all the 12 best teams from all Africa playing together. They, they did a combine last December in, in New York where they select a few players that African-American or American that their parents are from Africa that wanted to go back and play in a, nice, in a, in a good team over there. So uh, that league is going to start, it's going to generate uh, economic, it's going to move barriers, it's going to give hope to other kids that are in Africa. So now youth in Africa, not only is going to dream about coming to play here in the NBA, but they can dream about playing on the bar. And then let's say they they, they created a path where you can, let's say you're the MVP of bar, maybe you can get a two-way contract to the NBA. It's going to be kind of like a G League, but you're still on the continent, you know? Yeah. And I, again, I'll take a different angle than both of you guys. You covered that. Well, I wanted to talk about Bal because it's so cool. Um, but to, to get back to your original question about the intersection of hip-hop and basketball specifically, I, I guess there's like a saying with, uh, that every, uh, every ball player wants to be a rapper, every rapper wants to be a ball player. It's true. I know so many NBA players that have recording studios in their home and they're scared, they're, they're uh, too self-conscious to put out the music. Some, like Dame, will actually put it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think, I think Dame's good too. Dame's good. He, so. he can rap. I I will say, um, I saw his performance. I didn't see at, it at. Uh, I guess it was last night. Yeah, last night. Yeah. Um, he could rap. I don't know if his. Perf- he, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> performance <laughs> takes practice. Yeah, he, yeah, he probably does. hasn't yeah, been yeah, on yeah. tour he's, before. Look, he's got. He's, yeah. His plate is full. I, but, I will but, say that. Yeah. But to get back to the NBA, the league that we love so much, in the eighties and seventies, a lot of the games that before Magic and Bird, a lot of those games weren't on TV or they were actually played on tape delay. A lot of it was the people at the TV stations thought that America wouldn't buy into a a black league. They liked football. They liked baseball. They thought it was too black for Americans. But the NBA owned it. They didn't try and change to adapt to that. 
They had a great leader in David Stern who said, no, we're going to own this corner. And you look at where they've evolved to, you know, black culture is pop culture. You know, and I, I say that as a, you know, a, a white man. Like, I, that's, I mean, you, you go anywhere in the world, they know our rap artists' songs. They know our, uh, you know our athletes. Like, black culture is pop culture. So the NBA owned that and took it to the next level. And that's why it's the fastest growing league in the world. And that's why it is in Africa. And that's why it is all over the world because the NBA decided to own that corner. And you look at All-Star Weekend, the celebration of that. You got Chance performing at halftime. You got, you know, uh, the celebrity game, Common, Common One. Uh, J. Cole last year played uh, in, when it was, it was in Charlotte. You have the local, you know, and, and, and all these guys know each other. And, and it's, I don't know, that's why the NBA is winning for, for that reason. Yeah. Now, of course, it would be great to see them represent uh, in terms of coaches, in terms of owners, in a much broader way. I mean, there's still s- such a far, uh, you know, such a, such a long way to go in terms of that kind of representation that so much of the, you know, the players are, are, are around the planet and around the league are black, but not enough owners and coaches um, are yet, you know. Yeah. yeah, let me jump into that real quick. I'm actually going to go in different way, yeah. Uh, because in order for the players you know, to have more diversity in owning teams, I think uh, athletes or black people are going to start to think about them being an owner. I think if you don't have that that, that in your mind that I want to be owner of a team, you're going to be players. You know, I think the the first thing is to tell yourself as a black man, like I want to own a team. And then you do the homework, you learn, you do, you do the education part of how do I become an owner of a team. I think right now the only uh, majority owner that we know is Michael Jordan. Uh, I'm not for sure, and I think uh, LeBron kind of says that. Like whenever he finishes playing, I'm almost sure that's going to be uh, try to own a team. You know, he actually owns uh, part of a soccer team in, in England. You know, and I don't think I don't think basketball, which is his sport. But I think it's part of the education we have to have with our youth is also to empower them in order to tell them you can own a team. You know, I actually have an experience one time when I was in Texas and uh, I went to the American Airlines Center watching a game. And I was looking, I looking at the, the crowd. The, the, the gym was full. And I look at Mark Cuban. He was like next to the players. And I was like, wow, this guy owned this whole thing. You know, he owns, he creates economy, he creates stuff like that. But, like, it starts with the thought, you know, I want to be successful, and then I want to own the basketball team. I think in order to get more black people to own the team, we got, we got to plant those seeds about ownership, you know, uh, not just set up for less, not just be happy because you own an apartment, you know. You got to be on the block, on the building, on the country. You know, that's kind of my mindset, you know, uh, when, I, when I do my stuff in, in, in Benin, I always start in Benin, but I want my tournament to take over the whole continent. I don't want to just stay in Benin. That's why last year we got six teams. Uh, this year I want eight teams. Next year I want to have the, the equivalent of uh, McDonald's All-American. Let's say Dan next year, say, he called me up. Hey, I, made, uh, I need a, a six, eight guy. Like, yeah, come to the tournament. Come check it up. He's there. You know, that's kind of uh, the, the whole thing, and that's the way... Uh, I think we got to look at things, you know. I was speaking to one of my friends uh, at the NBA Africa when they started the league. You know what I told them? I told them, you know, I'm, my goal is to own a franchise in your, in your league. Yeah. You know, how do I do that? I think that's the mindset we need to start having, you know, in order for us to have more diversity in, in the game. Yeah. yeah and 
I've never felt comfortable personally with the concept of even ownership in general of a professional sports franchise. These franchises, these teams are so important to communities and people have such emotional investment. It's almost like a religion for some people. I have a problem with the fact that there is some person that can be an owner of that. Some owners in the league who can be so, you know, drive a franchise into the ground and people can suffer for 20 years because of an, an owner. And I know the league moved towards the term um, governor mm-hmm. rather than owner yeah. because of the, you know, obviously inclinations with the, you know, with the word owner. But like the Green Bay Packers are actually owned by the city of city, Green Bay. Yeah. Everyone can be a shareholder. That, yeah, I heard that actually uh, yesterday. It's a public good in that in yeah, that way. I think all franchises should see, be that you way. You can see the difference because because that's the case. Yes, you know. Yeah, all franchises should be that way. Yeah, no, that's, that's unfortunately really they're not though. Um, I, I'm, I'm, we have, we have we have room for one more question, and uh, I, I you know before we close, I, I also want to get everyone's socials and everything like that. But but obviously the sport across the planet is on the rise, and and I'm wondering from your vantage points and the different spaces you see the game from uh you know where where do you think where do you think ball is going in the next 5 10 15 beyond uh what you know where we see more and more international players in the nba we see more and more international players in high schools and colleges across the country uh what will what will the effect be um because of the sport globally uh in terms of in terms of what what you expect or what you see or hope to see I'm curious to see what you say. Yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about that for, for days. But, I mean, yeah, a few things. I think Africa is the future. Like, it, it, the league will be probably 25% African players within 15 years. There's so much talent there, and the, and the NBA knows that. That's why they have the Basketball Africa League. But, yeah, Africa is the future of the basketball talent. Now, the future of where the, the money is going to come from is Asia. I have players playing professionally around the world, and the money, the salaries in China, Korea, Japan – Philippines are getting higher and higher. I have, there are guys making a million plus in China, guys making high six figures in Japan. Those people are obsessed with basketball. And that, that I, I could see 30 years from now the NBA having leagues on every continent. And then we could have like a global championship. Yeah, a World it's, Cup or yeah, something. Yeah. 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 There's, only seven, there's only seven point something billion people in the world. So I guess there is a cap on how many people can play basketball. But I think we're going to hit it at some point. <laughs> yeah. I think exactly what he said um, is validation. And I think the culture of basketball will spread. And um, it'll be, I guess we use the term hip-hop culture. I don't know if that's going to evolve into a different name. Mm. But the way we are merging internationally, the, the influences that are coming from Asia, from uh, London and uh, Nigeria and Mexico, I think it's merging it to something that's going to be a different kind of music and culture. It may be, I think hip-hop is the most open for it to occur, but it may not be within hip-hop. And, and I think that all of that is going to swirl into, um, I don't know what we'll call it, but sport will be at the center of it. And there will be some sort of world league that will happen. But we're all becoming international citizens, ultimately. That's real. Yeah, I, I think uh, I got a friend of mine that just wrote the book. And his book is about uh, the vision that he has for the continent, for Africa, and he got a, a, day, a data inside uh, saying that in 2050, four out of ten people on the planet is going to be African. It's scary. That's scary? Yeah. Like scary in the way that, wow. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> and the other stat, yeah, the other data is that 60% of 
this African is going to be under 25 years old. Hmm. And that's the first time in the history of humankind that you have that type of data on one continent while everybody else is getting old. It never happened before. So Europe is getting old, America is getting old, and Africa is only younger guys coming up. And he, he said something about it in the book. He was like, in 2050, it's going to have three scenarios. Your daughter is going to be married to an African or work for an African or work with an African. So that's how powerful the, the, the continent will be. Uh, I was in, uh, we did a basketball game in Central Africa Republic. A country has been in the war for like 13 to 14 years. In Central Africa Republic, 60% of the population is under 18 years old. So like when I was there, I looked like I was a granddad. That's how crazy it is. So uh, to go to, to, your, to, to, your, to your point is that the game is going to be more global. Uh, I think now with the phone, with the internet, everything's going to just merge. Now, stuff like me when I was growing up, we used to watch cassette to work out. We watch NBA games and we kind of, you know, you, 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 you rewind, you watch the thing again. Now you got kids that can access the workouts of their favorite players all the way deep in the, in the forest in Benin or in Gabon. You'd be like, let's say you like LeBron James, you want to see LeBron James work out? Just go somewhere, you buy some data, and you can watch it. This was impossible before. Now, like, when I was working for Nike, now they got the, the Nike, what you call it? They, they got a device on your jersey, Nike Connect. When you, when you scan that to your phone, you can have access to limited information on the players. I think just we're going to live a crazy, crazy world, and I'm, I'm excited about that. But at the same time, we need to really focus on teaching our younger guys, you know, the, the essential about life, you know, the connection between human beings is not only beyond on our phones and also uh, how we exchange culture and we learn from each other and we grow. If we're able to connect the culture, I think it's going to be a phenomenon what we're going to do for, for, for the game. Like, look at the music, uh, Burner Boy. Burner Boy, yeah. Like, me, I grew up in, I used to listen to my dad. I'm a, I'm a, I'm my dad, my, my ancestors are from Nigeria, so I'm a Yoruba. And I used to listen to Fela and stuff like that when I was growing up. Fela was known, but not like Burner Boy is known. Because of Burner Boy, people now go check out Fela's song because they hear the lyrics. That's how the music, like when Fela was singing, not that many people in America or in France listen to Fela. But now Burner Boy, like you go to any hip-hop concert or party, you're going to hear Burner Boy, you know? So now... I think that's really how you merge culture. Like, Bernabeu, when you listen to him, this is like, he took his English, because he lived in England, he took part of that, uh, hip-hop influence that he has here, and his roots, and voila. I think that's the, the, the world's going to be next. I, I'm highly positive. Uh, just if you look at the panel that we have here, I think it shows you the, the future, man. Like, uh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm super. I'm super positive about the future. Uh, if I want to, if you want to touch the NBA standpoint, I think it's just gonna be crazy. We got two guys from Cameroon starting lineup tonight for the All Star Weekend. Right. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, Ten years ago, they were both doing the basketball with our border in South Africa. Now they're gonna be like 
the best league in the world. They're going to be two guys from Cameroon. Now, if, anytime you look, you look at something in the NBA, you see Africa. Yesterday, Pascal Siakam and Bama Adebayo were playing the semifinal skills challenge. We talk about skills challenge. You know, this, I, I think the continent is just the resources and everything that's come, uh, coming out the continent of Africa is just uh, unbelievable and it would be unstoppable. That's why I was using the word scary when I start. Yeah, mm-hmm. word. Um, well, I, I want to uh, get y'all's socials uh, for folks here, folks who are listening. Where, where's the best place to stay in tune with all of what you guys are doing online? Where are some of the best places to do that? I'm, I'm pretty easy. All my socials are just at my name, Daniel Poneman, D-A-N-I-E-L-P-O-N-E-M-A-N. Okay, great. All my socials are just at follow Shala, F-O-L-L-O-W-S-H-A-L-A. So it means a little bit complicated in that. We're going to guess that. Yeah. So my first name is Ahmed, and I'm going to spell it because... You want to hear a funny story, uh, Kevin? Yeah. When I was playing ball in high school and college, every time they was writing my name in the newspaper, it was somebody else's name. I never get, they never get my name right, you know? So I also like the subtle flex. You're like, every time they wrote my name in the newspaper, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, you know, it was often. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so, so my social is at A-H-M-E-D-5-E-B-D. Okay. A-H-M-E-D-5-E-B-D. Okay. Great. Yes, sir. Um, folks, if we could thank Ahmed, if we could thank Shala, if we could thank Dan, make, make a round of applause for, for all of our guests here in the corner store. Uh, this was a great conversation, gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of it. Really want to thank Robbie and the Fieldhouse Jones crew for hosting us. Uh, make some noise for them one thank time. Thank you, Fieldhouse Jones. Want to thank Ernie and WGN Radio. Thank you to Max and Snack Tour. Thank you to Mercedes Zapata. Uh, please uh, tune in every week to the Corner Store Pod. You can find us at Corner Store underscore Pod. We drop a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, thank you for being here and listening, and we will see y'all soon. Peace. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.